The following podcast contains explicit content and is not suitable for all listeners. In a study examining the characteristics of violence and abuse reported by 1,023 Australian women who had recently experienced coercive control by their current or former partner, the most frequently reported behaviors were jealousy and suspicion of friends, constant insults, monitoring of movements, and financial abuse. Over half of the respondents also reported experiencing physical forms of abuse at 54%, including severe forms such as non-fatal strangulation at 27%. One in three of these women also reported experiencing sexual violence during the survey period at 30%. In the U.S., on a typical day, There are more than 20,000 phone calls placed to domestic violence hotlines nationwide. Few stories leave me absolutely shocked and speechless. But this devastating story will stay with me, and it is exactly the reason that I started this podcast. On February 19th, 2020, a badly burned woman fled from her car that was engulfed in flames, telling bystanders that her estranged husband had set the blaze. She had been driving her three children to school, and sadly, they were burned to death in the fire. The man responsible later stabbed himself to death at the scene of the attack, while the mother was rushed to hospital, but she too passed away from her injuries. This is the story of Hannah Clark. Hannah Clark was born on September 8, 1988, in Australia, to parents Suzanne, who goes by Sue, and Lloyd Clark, and she had one brother named Nate. As with these high-profile cases, many things I find online are of the events of the attack and the aftermath, but very little is found about her life prior to meeting her murderer. And that's also because she was really just a kid herself at 19 years old when she met 11 years her senior, Rowan Baxter. I did find a Facebook page that looked to be Hannah, but as it only showed posts from 2010, it was hard to confirm if that was her old account. I read some quotes that claimed to be referenced from her social media posts, but her Instagram account is private, so I cannot see the posts myself. However, Her description box, she wrote, Brissy, as in she's from Brisbane, Australia. Proud mama, healthy eating, fitness, in love with my two little princesses and little prince. It then reads owner at integratefit and then a now deleted website, integratefit.com.au. Although the link to the business page on her Instagram is incorrect and goes to some random personal page, there is an integrate.fit page still on the platform with the same now deleted website link. This page is a CrossFit gym and its last post was on December 19th, 2019. And on the Facebook page and Instagram accounts for this gym, the last post has many comments referencing the attack 
the murderer, and prayers to Hannah, her children, and her family. Hannah was the owner, but I believe Rowan was too, as he was a former athlete, a personal trainer, and they were married, but I really couldn't find any information on that. I assume he was, at the very least, a part of the business, just because of his control over Hannah, but I'll get into that later. If you do know more about this case, or if I miss any details you think should be told on this or any other case, please let me know. You can comment on my Instagram at femicide underscore podcast or on my Facebook discussion group. What we do know is that Hannah lived for her children and loved them with every ounce of her being. She loved fitness and being healthy and wanted to share her passions to help other people reach their goals. She was also proud of her country and loved being from Brisbane, as I previously mentioned. I have never been to Australia myself, but from my research, the mainland of Australia is divided into six states, including Western Australia, Northern Territory, South Australia, Queensland, New South Wales, and Victoria. Queenland is on the northeast of the continent and is where Brisbane is located. Brisbane is the most populated city in Queensland and is the third most populated in Australia, with 2,560,700 people as of 2020. It is located near the East Coast and is considered the transportation and technology hub of Australia. Hannah lived in the area of Camp Hill, which is a suburb of the larger Brisbane city and about 8 kilometers or 5 miles from the city center, and it has a population of 11,202 as of 2016. Quote, boasting a long-term annual average high temperature of 26.4 degrees Celsius or 79 degrees Fahrenheit and minimum low of 16 degrees Celsius or 60 degrees Fahrenheit, Brisbane has the perfect climate for life in the great outdoors, end quote, which was perfectly fitting for Hannah's active lifestyle. Rowan Baxter was a former NRL National Rugby League player and was born in New Zealand, and he was previously married and had a son named Isaiah Jesse Rowan Baxter. I don't know the name of the woman he was married to or any information about that marriage, but his son has publicly claimed he too endured suffering from his father. And based on what was described from Rowan and Hannah's marriage, I can't imagine his first wife not having a similar experience, although I do think his controlling behavior escalated with Hannah. He was described as, quote, a charming single father, end quote. And when the two first met and began dating, everything was great in their relationship. He was a personal trainer and actively wined and dined her, showing off his elite clientele and lifestyle. As described by her parents, it was after the children were born that things began to shift, and as quickly as, quote, flicking a switch, he began to hold power over Hannah. Rowan's behavior became extremely controlling, and those around her describe it as coercive control, which is defined as, quote, an act or a pattern of acts of assault, threats, humiliation, and intimidation, or other abuse that is used to harm, 
punish or frighten their victim, end quote. If you've seen the Netflix series Made, this is exactly what that show highlights, which I think is extremely important to discuss and a reason I wanted to talk about this case in particular. Domestic violence does not always mean bruises and black eyes. Physical violence is just a part of domestic violence, and even in cases where physical violence is present, coercive control exists side by side. Domestic violence is about power over a spouse, and there are many ways to accomplish that. I spoke about it briefly in previous episodes, but I once had a partner that became physical on one occasion by pushing me into a wall. But prior to that, he hit walls and himself. He screamed at me daily for talking to co-workers or not wanting to come over to his home every single day as I had my own apartment that I never even got to sleep in hardly. He would threaten to take my tips I stored under my bed or go cheat on me. He quit his job and got mad at me that I didn't quit immediately and leave with him as I also worked at the same place. He hated my independence and actively fought to take it from me. I have no doubt that had we lived together or had a child together, that my life would have become a nightmare, as it was already making me a shell of my former self. Just to give you some perspective, and if any of this sounds familiar to you, I will have some resources in the show notes of this episode. Rowan and Hannah had met in 2009 and were married in 2012. Her family loved him at first and were just as charmed by him as Hannah was. Their first child, Aaliyah, was born in 2013, followed by Leanna in 2015 and Trey in 2016. Again, this is when the switch flipped, and according to her family, quote, As he got a grip over Hannah, he removed her from her brother and from us. He started putting in wedges, and it wasn't until then that we realized how controlling he was, end quote. Rowan also made Hannah steal by getting her to switch tags from more expensive items with items that were cheaper. These were tests of his power over her. But oddly, he didn't try to control the money in the home as Hannah was primarily in charge of that. But it doesn't mean that she had financial freedom. And I'm sure he made her fearful to spend anything. He did, however begin to stalk her and show up randomly at places she went. It's said he became paranoid and was likely using surveillance technology to keep tabs on her, as well as monitoring her Facebook and Instagram messages and other social media. Her mother stating, quote, We were in Big W and he'd turn up at the checkout and just stand there just to intimidate her, end quote. He also did everything in his power to put her down and make her feel worthless, breaking her confidence at every turn. Quote, he would tell her she's a useless mother. He would pick on her and say she was fat, just constantly putting her down. If she would dress up to go somewhere, he would tell her she looked terrible. He never liked her to look nice. End quote. It's also alleged that he had a sex addiction and would rape Hannah every night, while commenting vile things to her, according to her mother. 
As this is all from her mother's interviews, I say alleged, but what mother would lie about her deceased daughter going through such horrific events? Finally, in December 2019, Hannah made her escape from Rowan's clutches by leaving while he was at work with her three children and fleeing to her parents' home. But as expected, Rowan didn't just disappear with his tail between his legs. He wouldn't give up that easily. However, no one could have fathomed what this man was truly capable of. I'd like to take this moment to thank you for listening to my podcast. The concept behind femicide is very close to my heart, and I hope through these stories, we can shed a light on the abuse, violence, and sexual assault that women face daily. This podcast is a 100% one-woman operation. I research, write, record, and edit every single episode myself. To help support me in my efforts, I have started a Patreon account. And if you aren't familiar with Patreon, it is a membership-based platform designed to allow fans to support and connect with their favorite creators. Sign up today online at patreon.com or via the Patreon app. And again, I will leave the links in the show notes of this episode. As always, I will be donating 10% of all gifts received and memberships each month to various charities that help support women. The charity I will be donating to for the month of January 2022 is Redwood Shelter, which is a local Toronto shelter that provides a safe haven for women and children experiencing domestic violence. I have chosen this charity multiple times now as I truly believe in the work they do, but especially in honor of Hannah, Aaliyah, Leana, and Trey, please donate to this charity if you can. I'll put a link to their website in the show notes of this episode, and I will also leave a link to Small Steps for Hannah, which is a foundation that her parents began to help other victims of domestic violence in Australia. Gifts, while deeply appreciated, are not the only way you can show support. It would mean a lot if you would subscribe to my podcast and leave a review, as it really helps to bring awareness to these stories. And please don't forget to share with your friends and families, because word of mouth is the best review of all. On December 26, 2019, Rowan kidnapped Leana in an effort to showcase his control over Hannah. He kept her for three days, after which Hannah filed a domestic violence order against him. This began the legal custody battle between Hannah and Rowan, with Rowan refusing to reach any agreements or compromises about the legal custody of the children. He breached the DVO on numerous occasions, and this led to his custody being revoked sometime in early February. A week before her death, Hannah asked her mother if she can leave custody of the children to her parents, quote, after he killed her, end quote. Hannah was extremely fearful of Rowan and knew he was at his breaking point, but she also knew she had come that far and needed to continue her quest to break free of him. Her last Instagram post read, quote, I am a strong woman. I don't sit around feeling sorry for myself nor will I ever let anyone mistreat me again. I don't respond to people who dictate to me or try to bring me down. I am a survivor, not a victim. I am in control of my life, 
and there is nothing I can't achieve. My girls will grow up being strong women who understand their worth, end quote. It was followed by the hashtags, we got this, strong women, daughters, strength, journey, long road ahead, 2020, and our year. Sadly, she would not get to fulfill this wish. On February 19th, 2020, while on the way to drop the children at school in her vehicle at around 8.30 a.m., Rowan ambushed the family. He parked nearby in his aunt's borrowed vehicle so that Hannah wouldn't recognize him, and then intercepted her car in the street and jumped into the passenger side. Hannah drove around 200 meters or 650 feet when she saw a neighbor washing his car and then pulled into his driveway. During this ordeal, Rowan began dousing the inside of her vehicle, Hannah, and the children with gas he had purchased earlier that morning. The brave neighbor tried to free Hannah from the car, but Rowan was holding her when suddenly he set it on fire and the car exploded into flames. Quote, the explosion was so loud it rattled windows across the street and some thought they heard a gas explosion. Hannah freed herself from the car but was engulfed by flame. The flames were extinguished by a combination of rolling on the ground and water from the neighbor's garden hose, end quote. The neighbor that had attempted to help Hannah was injured in the explosion and a passerby stopped and helped give aid to Hannah, applying cool water to her burns that covered 97% of her body. Rowan was also badly burned and stopped neighbors from saving the children who were trapped inside their car seats before finally stabbing himself in the chest and dying shortly after. Hannah was transported to Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital, but her injuries were too severe to treat, and she died later that day. Her last words are said to be that she knew her children were dead and that she didn't want to survive. Hannah and her children were laid to rest on March 9, 2020. This horrific event traumatized the entire country, and an inquest into the events leading up to the attack and the allegations of domestic violence are being investigated. I found an article dated December 17, 2021 about the inquest, but another article said it would run for two weeks in March of 2020, so I hope to be able to update about the inquest in future episodes. The goal of the inquest is to bring more awareness to coercive control as a form of domestic violence. Hannah's family is also working tirelessly to help others going through a similar experience to their daughters by starting the Small Steps for Hannah Foundation. The foundation is dedicated to bringing awareness to domestic violence and providing help for those looking to escape DV situations. Hannah's Place was also created, which is an area of a reserve located in the Camp Hill area designed to memorialize Hannah and her children, but also provide a place for others to reflect. It was the same site that on February 23rd, just days after the attack, over 1,000 people gathered to mourn Hannah, Aaliyah, Leana, and Trey with a public vigil. Quote, Welcome to Hannah's Place. 
today on what should have been Hannah Clark's 32nd birthday. Part of the Bill Hewitt Reserve in Camp Hill was officially renamed in her memory. Family and friends gathered in the park this morning for the unveiling. Four trees were also planted to honor Hannah and her three children, Aaliyah, Leanna, and Trey. They were all murdered in February by Miss Clark's estranged husband. Hannah's place is not only for Hannah, Aaliyah, Leanna, and Trey. It is for all victims of domestic and family violence. A place to reflect, to gather courage, and to be brave. A place to support each other. But above all, I hope our community finds some peace and happiness here. End quote. This story deeply affected me for many reasons. From my own experiences, my friends' experiences, the story hits very close to home. Domestic violence takes many forms, and many victims don't even realize they are experiencing DV because they aren't being physically abused or hit. Hannah felt that way, and it took her a decade to realize that she was being victimized and finally getting the courage to escape. Even with all the warning signs, mental abuse, financial control, power moves, isolation from family and friends, threats, torment of the children, and even the continued sexual abuse, it took her 10 years to realize she was manipulated and that she was a victim and that she needed to leave. I praise her for not wanting to feel like a victim and doing everything in her power to get her and her children out of that situation. Hannah was brave, strong, and an amazing mother. She will not be forgotten, and her memory will continue to live on. And I hope her story saves just even one woman from experiencing a similar fate. Thank you for listening to the story of Hannah Clark. I'm your host, Sean Marie. Join me next time for another story.